Though they did not know what they were, and then they served it to the men to eat. And now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. And so he said, Then take some flour and put it in the pot and said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Another miracle that Elijah does. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Elisha felt a special responsibility to help in this situation because he told the men to gather ingredients for the stew, and they gathered the wild vine that poisoned the pot. There was nothing inherently purifying in the flour Elisha put in the pot. The real purification was a miraculous work of God. Spurgeon once said, We must look to God for help and use the means indicated here. Good wholesome food was cast into the poisonous stew, and by God's gracious working, it killed the poison. And the church must cast the blessed gospel of the grace of God into the poisoned pottage, and false doctrine will not be able to destroy men's souls as it now does. Now here's Pastor Rob. The world is going to get darker and darker, but you and I are looking forward to a new kingdom where moth and rust doesn't corrupt. Verse 17. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. And now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reaper. So obviously an agrarian society. So he's out there helping his dad, probably a very young kid. And we'll see why, because he, he climbs up on his mother's lap here shortly. And he said to his father, my head, my head. And so he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And, uh, you know, it's possible he had a sunstroke, or maybe he had an annual in his brain. We don't really know what happened, but it wasn't just a migraine because migraines don't usually kill people. So when they had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees until noon and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and she shut the door behind him and went out. And then she called for, to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And so he said, so the husband says, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon or the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. He didn't even know that the child had died. The son is up in Elisha's room, in a sense. The woman put him up there, and she doesn't even tell her husband. She's like, I'm going after the prophet. I'm going to go talk to him as soon as possible. Her husband's still working out in the field. He has no clue. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward, and do not slack the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed, went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Notice, that's where he was. So it was, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman... 
Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, It is well. And so now, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone. For her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Yes, the great Elijah, God didn't tell him in advance what was going on. You know, Elijah wasn't clairvoyant. He received what God told him, and only what God told him, for the reasons, and the reasons only that God told him. You know, some people think that Christians, that we got to be clairvoyant. What, you couldn't see Ian coming? You couldn't tell your family ahead of time? I'm, I'm not a clairvoyant. I, I, I serve God. <laughs> He's taking care of this. He has his way in the whirlwind. I don't understand it at all. It broke my heart, to, me, to be honest with you, to see my beloved. <laughs> what is wrong with me tonight? <laughs> Good grief. I feel like, uh, yeah, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. So. So she goes to Elijah. She said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on the way. If you meet anyone, do not greet them. And if you, anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives, as Jehovah lives. Notice, that's, what she, that's the word there. As Jehovah lives... And as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And so he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child hasn't awakened. And I think that's interesting because God didn't anoint the staff of Elijah. He anointed Elijah. And I'm glad stuff like this is in the Bible because people get fetishes about articles of things. <gasps> These are the chains of St. Peter. You know, it's like, yeah, they're, they're chains. They're made of iron. And yes, they, maybe they did shackle Peter. But is there magic in the... No, it, maybe could it be the faith of the person? I mean, granted, I mean, in Acts, we know that the shadow of Peter passing by and people getting healed. I get all that. But was it the shadow of Peter or was it the faith in Peter's God that they were believing in? He was just the agent in the way. He was just the point of contact. See, God knows the difference. We don't always know the difference. But there was nothing magical about the staff. So he went in, therefore, and shut the door behind the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hand. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. And he returned and walked back and forth in the house, no doubt praying profusely, and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Out on him, And then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. And so he called her, and when she came into him, he, he said, pick up your son and so she went in and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground and then she picked up her son and she went out and you know isn't that just a wonderful thing you know God had given her this child miraculously and then the child has a heat stroke and dies at a young age probably less than probably not even 10 years old maybe and she's just like you know I've been waiting all my life for this you know I had everything and now I had this bright light in my life and now God takes them away and you can almost just hear her. God says, I'm going to bring him back. Can you imagine how grateful that woman was? 
You could have taken all of her money away. She is now a servant of God, totally sold out, a woman with a broken heart who didn't even have the chance of having a son, and now she's got a son, and then he dies. I mean, what more, what greater grief could you have from, of not having a child to begin with, and then finally having a child, and before it's even adult, it dies? I mean, what greater grief? Did you ever find that in the Christian life? That sometimes the greatest things that, that just crack you like an egg, the things that just break you in half, God is with you in it. He knows the end of it as well. He knows what he's going to accomplish at the end of that. It's greater than gold. We don't have time to go there, but I would encourage you in your Bible to, um, in your margin, write down Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, 21, really through 42. And you see Jesus in the New Testament doing the very same thing. You know, this young girl, Jairus' daughter, she's sick and ill, and finally she dies. And then Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, and they come back. While he's still en route to Jairus' house, somebody meets out and says, you know, the child is dead, don't even bother. So Jesus goes in there with Peter, James, and John, and they pray. And he reaches and touches this young lady and says, Talitha kumi, which means young maid, arise. And she arises. The Old Testament the New Testament, you'd almost think that they were the same God. And I say that tongue-in-cheek because he is. He hasn't changed. God is a God of grace in the Old Testament as much as he's a God of grace in the New Testament. God is as much of a, a God of miracle working in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. He hasn't changed. The Bible says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He is. He's the same. He hasn't changed one bit. He still hates sin. Is he a gracious God? Yes, he is. Is he going to judge sin? You better believe it. And we better get with the program. Especially if you don't know Christ. You need to know Christ tonight. Don't put it off. If you're driving in your car tonight, uh, and I'm talking for this what on the radio later on, if you're in your car tonight, you pull over right now. And you, be, you bow before the great God of all creation, the one who loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Loves you so much that he give himself. Because I don't know if you remember, but God died on a cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, equal to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, he is the one who died in your place. And in mind, and we're going to take communion in a few minutes to commemorate that, to remember what he did. And so Elisha returned to Gilgal, and we'll go through this pretty quickly. Elisha returned to Gilgal, and this Gilgal is just a few miles uh, northwest of Bethel. It's not Gilgal down there in the Jordan Plain next to Jericho. It's not that Gilgal. This is a Gilgal that's uh, uh, just a few miles northwest of Bethel. 
So Elisha returned to Gilgal, where there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to his servant, Put on a large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. And one of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds and came in, sliced them into a pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. And then they served it to the men to eat. And now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. And so he said, Then take some flour and put it in the pot and said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Another miracle that Elijah does. And again, the, the famine in the land was because of, no doubt, because of the Baal worship that was engulfed in Israel at that time. And I, I find a wonderful victory in this, because while everybody is suffering through the famine, God does a miracle and allows his, his, his men to eat. I love that. He never, he always cares about his own. He loves everybody, don't get me wrong. He loves the sinner because he loves me and I, I'm, I'm, I qualify. I'm a sinner. Anybody else here a sinner tonight? Raise your hand. <laughs> I'm a sinner. I qualify for God's salvation. So then the man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God uh, the bread of the first fruits, 25, or excuse me, 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. Notice, he didn't even think of himself. He says, give it to the people. But his servant said, what? Shall I settle, set this before 100 men? Does this sound familiar to you? Is there an event in the New Testament where this sounds familiar? And it even gets more pointed as we go along. And so, you know, Gehazi says, um, shall I set this before 100 men so little? And he said again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. Wow, did that happen? In Galilee, you better believe it. But his servants, um, and so uh, Elisha's servant, Gehazi, was certainly not, uh, not a great man of faith at this time. Remember in Matthew 14 when Jesus fed the 5,000? With just a few loaves and a couple fishes. And then they, they gathered 12 fragments, 12 baskets of fragments afterwards from a few loaves and a few fish. A notable miracle. Then he does it again on on, on the western shore of the Galilee. He does it again for another 4,000 people. Same thing happens. He can take nothing and make something. Isn't that what he did in the beginning? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God says, let there be light, or whatever. Let there be, and when he said, let there be, it was. Can any scientist at Harvard or Princeton or Oxford do that? No. And if they say, well, we're creating really great things and test it, well, use your own material that you make from scratch. Mr. Fancy Pants. But it took faith, didn't it, for the disciples to do what the Lord, to do, it took faith for Gehazi to lay that out and to do what Elisha had said. I don't get it. I don't understand. Hey, listen, if God tells us to do something and you know that he's telling you to do it, don't worry about the results. Just do it. Because even if it appears to be a failure, there's a reason for it. And it may be just to train you. But if he tells you to do something, just do it. Let him figure out the details later. He'll catch you up. He'll fill you in later in a briefing somewhere down the road. But don't worry about it. Just do what he says. 
If you feel him urging you at Wegmans to go speak to somebody who looks... In, just go over and introduce yourself. Say, you know what? My name is so-and-so, and I just saw you here. And you know what? This is going to sound crazy to you, but the Lord wanted me to say hello to you and to tell you that he loves you. People have done this, and the person cracks like an egg because they thought to themselves, if somebody doesn't come to me and give me a word of encouragement, I'm going to go home and put a gun to my temple. It's happened. And you feel that urging? Just do it. Don't worry about the results. Don't worry about the results. So he set before them and they ate and they had some left over according to the word of the Lord. And so throughout chapter 4, we saw God doing wonderful miracles through the life of Elisha. And it's also interesting that what Baal, that you think of all these droughts and these, uh, these the, you know, no food and, and everything. And yet Baal, who was the god of fertility in the Canaanite culture, was he able to help these people? No. Why? Because he's a false god. He's impotent. He has no power whatsoever. And God is saying, oh, but I'm all-powerful and I can make things happen. Even when there is nothing or when there's just a little bit. I can take this much oil and I can fill jars full of oil. I can take just a few fish and a few pieces of bread and I can make things really happen with it. And see, we have to believe that now. Ask the Lord. Say, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith. Prepare me. Help me not to always be so quick to run to my vices, but to just wait upon you. If we could have Sarah come on up, and we're going to take communion together and Jesus, you remember in the upper room, just hours before he'd be crucified, he took the bread and the cup and he passed it to his disciples. And what would have been a normal Passover meal, he did something at the end of it that never had been done before. He equates the, the bread and the wine with his body and blood, and so we'll, we'll take a look at that. But as Sarah leads us in a song of worship, just come on up and grab the elements, and bring them back to your uh, chair, and we'll take them together, okay? Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, he says this in chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. So let's do that. Let's take the bread together. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. And back at that time, he had the, uh, the grail, the one that everyone's, that Indiana Jones has been looking for. They had a, a, a cup, a single cup. with wine in it, they passed it around to each of them. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. New covenant, the new will and testament. 
of my blood. And he says, this do as often as you drink, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so let's do that. Let's take the the cup. Isn't it wonderful to have communion together? Think of where in the world we, we could do this like this, you know. I mean, think of a, any business, any, anything in the world where people gather together. Is there anything more intimate than what we've just done? And even back in the Old Testament, back in ancient times, Having a meal with somebody was one of the most intimate things you could do. And, and there was something significant about the way they take the bread. I mean, they had a loaf of bread. And those guys at that table, you know, it wasn't these, you know, hermetically sealed things that are all nice and sterile, and, you know, COVID certified. I say that with a wink, okay. They just grabbed the bread. I mean, think about that, how that'd be today if we just grabbed a couple of loaves and just tossed them out and just tear off a piece and hand it to your neighbor that's what they did. I'm not saying that we're going to do that, but, but there was something about the, the intimacy of that. Because when you take those elements and you take them into you, what could be more intimate than something being in the middle of you? It's like where your heart resides. You're taking the, the body of Christ symbolically and, the, and the, the, the cup, and you're taking that in into the innermost part of your being. And you're not just saying, that, well, I, I just do this because that's what we do. No, we're, we're, we're doing this together because we believe in him and what he did on the cross. See, this wouldn't make any sense to me if I'm an unbeliever. That's why we encourage people who don't know Christ, don't, don't bother taking communion until you know Christ. It's not going to kill you, although they had problems in the first century with people doing it, on, on, you know, not taking it worthily, and they, some of them died even. But as believers, we ought to take it because we believe in who Jesus is. Everything he said, everything he did, we believe what his death meant, what it accomplished on the cross, because we are the benefactors of it, the beneficiaries of what Christ has done, and it's going to last forever, folks. I want to encourage you in that, because no matter what you're going through, and we'll end, no matter what you're going through, no matter what these next few, this next month is going to throw at us, and it's going to get pretty crazy. Don't lose your peace. And as I say that to you, I got three fingers pointing back at me, warning me three times as much. Keep my eyes focused on Christ. Certainly do everything you can do here, but regardless of the outcome, you keep your eyes on him. Amen? Amen. And let's stand together, let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for tonight. Thank you for this passage, Lord, how it challenged us. And uh, Lord, just be with us tonight as we go and keep us safe. Lord, bless our day tomorrow, Lord, and just fill us with your spirit and prepare us for things we can't even understand, Lord. And and we know that you are, and we ask that you would. And we pray that, Lord, you'd increase our faith too, Lord. And and, uh, I pray that you would blow literally the minds of, of all of us in this church At Calvary Chapel of Rochester, I pray that you would do something so wonderful that we would even, for years later, should you tarry, we'll look back and say, I'm so blown by what you did, Lord. Would you please do it? Whatever it is you want to do. 
And it's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.